0: I'm sure that you've already begun to notice those people. In fact, it's quite possible if we look around, some of those people are in the church with us this morning. I've said I'm never going to be those people, and yet here I am. So what am I talking about? You know the people who've already put out their Christmas decorations? People who've already started singing Christmas songs? listening to it on the radio, is it you? You don't have to be bashful, you can own it. read this week online that November snow is a declaration from God of people listening to Christmas music too soon. So I appreciate that some of you held off for a while this year. This week as I've been preparing for our Advent series, we're about to spend four weeks in Isaiah, but as I've been preparing for that series and considering this final message in Exodus 40, it occurred to me that this is an Advent message because it points us directly to Jesus. This shouldn't be a surprise for us. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus. We've spent all of Exodus pointing you back to the Gospel. So one of the verses that I often like to ponder when I consider the Old Testament comes in Luke 24, 27. Jesus has been resurrected, joins two of His disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is what Luke writes. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, He, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. This is one of those moments I would really deeply like to experience. Jesus walking through the Old Testament and explaining everything about himself. It's me, me, still me, that points to me, this is me. It would be extraordinary. Friends, this morning as we finish the book of Exodus, a book that testifies that there's a sovereign God who knows the condition of his people, a book that testifies that there is a slavery that you can find yourselves in, that you need help to be delivered from and to be redeemed from. There's a, there's a God who does that, that he delivers his people and redeems them even though they will ultimately fall short. And so this final picture that we see in the book of Exodus, a picture that's alluded to over and over again in the book, is that God wants to dwell with His people. That's what we're going to see. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. God desires to dwell with His people. So as we open up the Bible this morning, let's just take a moment just pray over our time in this text. Let's, Let's just pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the salvation that's available to us by grace through faith. Father, we thank you for giving us your word that we might know you. Father, this morning as we open up your word, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts that we might avail ourselves to you? God, that you might use your word to speak directly to us, that it might encourage us, it might build us up, it might comfort us, and it might even convict us. Father, would you help us to see you in your word this morning, that you might build your people. Father, would you grow us and mature us in the name of your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. This morning we're opening Exodus 40. We're going to be talking about the tabernacle. And as we move towards Exodus 40 this morning, I want to acknowledge that there are several earlier passages that lay a foundation to what we see here in Exodus 40. I I skipped a lot of them. I hope you noticed that. For the most part, we skipped Exodus 25-31. through We skipped Exodus 35 Through 39, those texts center completely and entirely around the command to build the ark and the tabernacle. Then they actually get to the building of the ark and the tabernacle. And so on our way to Exodus 40, this morning, I want us to make three quick stops. Two that are going to line up really well with our message. And a third one that I thought about preaching and I'm just going to insert it here because I, it's just, it's just really cool. So we'll stop in the third one. So let's start in Exodus 25. In Exodus 25, the Lord God has given Moses and he's given Israelite the Ten Commandments. He's given them the book of the covenant. Israel has pledged their faithfulness to God. So God has called his leaders up the mountain. Trying to give you some context. The Lord tells Moses to begin to take an offering. They collect gold and silver and bronze and yarn and linen and animal skins and oil and spices. Why? Well, that takes us to Exodus 25, 8 and 9. Why does he do it? Exodus 25, verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary. Now this is what I want you to hear. That I may dwell in their midst. That I may dwell in their midst goes on to say in verse 9, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make. You start to see this pattern. The Lord God desiring to dwell with men. He wants to be in our midst. In fact, He wants to draw near to us. Friends, we should see this is not about us seeking Him, This is about Him seeking us. I want you to make a sanctuary that I may dwell in your midst. He wants to be present. He wants to make Himself known. And then, He declares exactly how it's to be built. What it's to contain. How they're to build it. Why? Because He wanted to dwell in our midst. Four chapters later, second stop, same context. Exodus 29, verse 45. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. Now listen to this, verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, and brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them, I am the Lord their God. Why was the Lord leading His people to build a tabernacle? So that He might dwell in their midst. Why is that important? So that they, the Israelites, might know that He is their God. He moves closer to them So that they will know who He is. And that they would recognize what He's done. We see purpose. The Lord delivered them from slavery that He might dwell with them. And He desires a tabernacle to be built so that He might dwell with them. Why? so that they will know who He is. They're God. Do you ever stop to consider the fact that God has made Himself known? That God has sought you out? That He has pursued you? That He's moved close? That's what He does here For the Israelites. He wants them to see who he is. He wants them to recognize what he's done. And he doesn't just tell them that he's good. He actually reveals his character through his actions so that they would know who he is based on what he's done. So that they would know A God of redemption. A God of deliverance. A God of salvation. Because He had redeemed and delivered and saved. That they would know a God who provides. A God of abundant provision. Because that's who He was. That's what He did. Bringing them out of the land of Egypt... He became their sustenance, their provision. I am the Lord, their God. Makes himself known. He moves closer to the people. So now let me make my quick pit stop. I want you to see this text. Toyed with preaching this text. We're just going to stop here briefly. The Lord's calling Israel to build a tabernacle, the place of his dwelling that he might dwell with men so he can make himself known. You read through these sections, 25 through 31, you'd see an unmistakable ornateness to the tabernacle. I mean, it's actually extraordinary to think what it must have looked like. To think that God wanted this place to be breathtaking, beautiful. There was a majesty about it. But I also think we should give some consideration to how it was built. Let me read this to you. Exodus 31, 1-6. And the Lord said to Moses, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Now listen carefully to this. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I've appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you. Now there's a ton there. It's worthy of our consideration. But I want you to consider for a second that the Lord wanted to dwell with men. And so in doing so, he wanted a place built that would be worthy of his presence, that would testify to his character. He raises up people to build it. And it's fascinating to me because when we think about God giving gifts to men, we tend to have certain categories. God gifted him like this. God gifted him like that. And what you see here is the Lord God giving him ability, knowledge, understanding, and skill. Like we ought to stop and see God granting gifts that we might see as unusual that are be used for His glory for a testimony of who he is. Now I say that to you church because sometimes people think things like, well pastors are gifted and evangelists are gifted and God gives some people careers, but what about, what about me? Could I be gifted by God? Could I have a calling from God if I'm just a wood craftsmith? Yes! Right? That's that's exactly what this text would testify to. If you think God just does this in Exodus, you're fooling yourselves. God grants abilities and skills and knowledge and understanding. In chapter 37, it talks about Bezalel making the ark of acacia wood, and then overlaying it with gold. And I'm trying to picture my mind like, that's some skill. I don't know how to do that. And God gifted him with this ability, knowledge, and understanding. It's, it's a sweet place to just be reminded that God gives all gifts, all of them, That if you have skills or talents or ability, whatever it is that you're good at, you should pause and say, how might God use this for His glory? Because that's what He's intended for all of these workers. To this end, that He might dwell with men and that we might know who He is. If you give me a second to make an application. You might come to Calvary Church this morning at 7.10. I heard somebody, don't know who it was, shoveling snow. Don't know who you are. Don't raise your hand. Somebody shoveled snow for us this morning. Like that is a good gift. Not only is that a good gift, it is a worshipful gift. Like honored Jesus by doing it. Here in a little while, somebody's going to be in the nursery changing diapers. I don't like that job. I'd way rather be here. Some of you would way rather be there, and we're thankful for that. It is a good gift. We have these categories of gifts, and we need to tear them down to recognize. We use the gifts God's given us, and it, it honors them. It brings them Glory. Go back to Exodus 40. All this is building towards God commissioning a tabernacle, building a tabernacle so that he might dwell with men, that he might make himself known. Exodus 40, starting in verse 34. Then the cloud, you remember, There's a cloud, there's a pillar of fire goes before Exodus. Everywhere the Israelites go, it travels before them. It shows them where they're to go. It leads them, it guides them. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. If you've been following along in Exodus, this tent of meeting has been used a couple of different ways. Moses built the tent of meeting outside of town. It was a place where he could gather, he could meet with God. This is different. Now the tent of meeting has been placed in the middle of town. In the middle of their village, it's fitting that God's not dwelling on the outside. He's dwelling now in the middle. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Almost exactly one year after the Israelites leave Egypt, nine months after they arrive in Mount Sinai. God has been leading His people with a cloud and with a pillar of fire. And on this day and on this time, the cloud moves over and fills the tabernacle. His glory fills the tabernacle. The Lord makes a home with His people that He might dwell with His people. He might be near to them. Verse 35. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's not one of those verses that's convenient for a pastor. You wanted to say, and then everyone had unfettered, wide open access. It was like, Lord, 24-7, like Walmart. Moses can't enter. Moses, the one the Lord chose to represent himself, is unable to enter. In fact, you read the text that, that actually suggests that he, he tried to go in, but he was not able to. So what do we make of that? How do we understand that? couple of thoughts. Regularly, Moses was called into the presence of God. Regularly, God would call him and he would ascend the Mount Mount Sinai. In fact, if you follow that through, often the people stayed here, the leaders stopped here, Moses keeps going. And yet, if you remember chapter 33, which we preached on, When Moses asks the Lord to show him his glory, in chapter 33, verse 20, the Lord God responds, but you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. In that passage, God reveals himself to Moses. Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I will show you myself. And God, in his goodness, allows Moses to see the hand of God. Covers his face with a hand. You'd see the hand coming, you'd see the hand going. And he loves Moses to see the back of God, but not his face. Why? Well, according to God, it would kill you. Now, many people speculate to what does that mean. Was, was the face of God so bright, so luminous, that you couldn't survive the presence of that much light? Or is it possible the face of God is so hot that the heat would inflame you and you couldn't survive that? I have no idea. It's all speculation. We just know God says it's not going to work. For man shall not see me, and live, can't see my face. So what does this tell us? That there's something uniquely different about God meeting with Moses on Mount Sinai in a way that somehow God was shielded. Somehow God revealed himself, but not fully. But when he makes his presence known among men, he makes his presence so full amongst men in a place in this tabernacle His presence so full that man couldn't withstand it. And that is awesome. That God's presence would be manifested so fully that we'd be unable to survive it. You see that actually in the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, you see an allotment made for how they're to access the Holy of Holies. You can read about that in Leviticus 16. Someday I'll preach it. But what we know here is Moses can't enter. What we know here is that the glory of God has filled the temple. And what we know is that the cloud... And the fire were still evident to the people so that the people know, No, knew. People knew that God's presence was manifested among them. The passage continues. Verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. If the cloud was not taken up, And they did not see it. They did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night and in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. You see God continually leading his people. You see God dwelling among his people. They knew he was there. And this continued until the temple was built under King Solomon. So friends, what do we do with this? How do we respond to Exodus 40? Friends, God desired to dwell with His people. Since the Garden of Eden, the Lord was looking and working towards dwelling with His people. And as we've said over and over again, the book of Exodus, points to Jesus. It points us to the one who would deliver us from slavery. It points us to the one who would redeem us from our bondage. And it points us to the one who would grant us true freedom. And it points us to the one who is always dwelling among us in an unfettered, unhindered way. What do I mean by that? Consider John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. told you this morning we were having an Advent message, you're looking for a Scripture for your Christmas card there, just go with it. The Word. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Exodus 25, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exodus 29, I will dwell amongst the people of Israel that they shall know that I'm the Lord your God. For it's these passages find fulfillment in the tabernacle, they find fulfillment in the temple, and ultimately they find themselves in Jesus Christ. For in Jesus Christ we've seen the glory of God. We've seen it. And it's full of grace and truth. God has made himself known. He's given us His manifest presence through His Son. And I want you to see, and I want you to consider what that means to God's presence. Hebrews 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places By the blood of Jesus. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain. That is through His flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If we finished the book of Exodus and we walked into the book of Leviticus and started reading about what does it take to enter the presence of God, what does it look like, what is demanded of it, you would see language that would point you to Hebrews 10. So that you would see to enter to the holy place is a huge ordeal. You would understand that that's an unattainable reality. Chapter 4 in Hebrews, he talks about having the confidence to draw near to the throne of grace. A picture of the mercy seat. And now in Hebrews, written to Israelites, we have confidence to enter into the place we weren't allowed to go in. There's, there's a curtain that, that holds you out and that holds God's presence in and only the high priest could pass through the curtains. But the blood of Jesus has opened up a, a new and a living way. It's been opened for us. That through His flesh, it's been opened for us. Because we have a great priest over the house of God, a a great high priest who uses this language in Hebrews, we draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. We're just saying Jesus is a better Moses. But do you get, read through the book of Exodus, that you now live in a world where you're in a better, more advantageous position with God than Moses was. See, we could read that and think, well, if only if I had had that experience. If only I could have walked up Mount Sinai. If only the cloud would have come upon me. If only I could have seen the burning bush. If only I could have, then, then, oh, then I'd be faithful. Oh, then I'd be bold. Or then, then I would be really encouraged. Or then I would be... And the whole argument of the book of Hebrews, which, by the way, we're starting in January, On purpose. The whole argument of the book of Hebrews is Jesus. Jesus is better that because of the blood of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, his body pays the price for our sin. We have been atoned for. Because of the blood of Jesus, we have been set free. Because Jesus was a better sacrifice, we have confidence to enter into the holy place, to draw near to the throne of grace. Which is to say, church, when you stop and you pray to the Heavenly Father, and whether that is in the morning when you first wake up, or whether that's at lunch over your meal, or whether that's begging God for the strength to endure what's right ahead of you, or whether that's in confession to a grievous decision that you just made that you wish you could unmake but you can't unmake it so now you're overwhelmed and living in the guilt and the frustration and the anger that you weren't strong enough weren't weren't able to resist the temptation you've been fighting and now you're in it and you go to pray to God do you know this all applies Did you walk into the throne of grace because of the blood of Jesus? There's no bearing on who you are, what you've done in the passage. It's all solely and completely based on the work of Christ that you can come into His presence. And Hebrews 4 would say, to receive the mercy and the grace that you need. Verse 22, I think, is still on the screen. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Do you have a true heart? Totally loaded question. Yes. Why? The blood of Jesus. Do you have full assurance of faith? Does your wandering, feeble, weak-minded heart have full assurance of faith? Yes, because of the blood of Jesus. Have your hearts been sprinkled clean? Yes, because of the blood of Jesus. It's been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Has your body been purified? Washed with pure water? Yes, because of the blood of Jesus. Church, what I'm trying to argue for here, what Exodus into the book of Hebrews is going to argue to you, is that because of the blood of Jesus, you have an unhindered, unfettered access to God that Satan wants to lie to you about. And you have to know the truth. That in that moment when you feel guilty, you feel unworthy, you feel invisible, you get to say, <coughs> because of the blood of Jesus, I'm barely standing, but God, I know you're here. Because of the blood of Jesus, God, I'm not strong enough to endure this. I don't even know how I'm going to make it through, but because of the blood of Jesus, God, I, I know I can come to your presence. I know I can put this before you. Because of the blood of Jesus, you can receive the mercy and the grace you so desperately need. many of us are prone to think, like Moses, we're going to get stiff-armed at the gate. Nope, it's full. A lot of other people are already here. God's busy. And that's just not true. Moses was held out on a theological reality of unworthiness that hadn't been resolved yet. You are welcomed in because Jesus Christ resolved it for you at the cross. So this next five weeks, this next five weeks, we're going to start celebrating Advent. We're moving towards Christmas. Advent's a season where we start looking for Jesus. That we're reminded that there's a waiting for Jesus. I want you to be reminded This season, and I want you to work on this reminder that God has come to dwell with us through His Son. That God has come to dwell with us through His Son. God has approached us with His Son. He's made His presence known to us because of Jesus. He's offered us His blood. He's given us the confidence, assurance of faith with His blood. He's given us a free pass to access Him. So as you walk through this Advent season to approach God, be reminded of the blood of Christ given for you. That you can come to Him freely and unfettered and unhindered because of the blood of Christ. Let me pray for us. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for your word, for how it tells us of who you are. Father, it foreshadows forward and it looks back and it, all these dots get connected to, in your word for us in Jesus Christ. Father, we're reminded that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. Father, would you, this morning, remind us of the work of Christ? Father, if we're here and we're struggling because we've never believed in Jesus Christ, Father, would you break through that unbelief? Would you remind that person that you're pursuing them, that you love them, that you've moved into their neighborhood? Father, for the rest of us who've know you, are walking with you, and are struggling. Would you remind us in this season, this holiday season that has its own complexities and challenges, would you remind us of the blood of Christ, that we can come to you freely, and we can come to you unfettered, and we can come to you to receive the mercy and the grace we so desperately need. Father, we are so thankful for your Son, Jesus. And for the real and the true and the rich salvation that he's granted us, that we are really free from sin. We are free to pursue righteousness. We're free to walk in the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. Father, would you help us to draw near to you? Your name we pray. Amen.